welcome to the All Purpose NFL Podcast. I'm your host, AP, and this week I'm talking about the Chiefs rebounding from last week's loss, the possibility of a Julio Jones trade, and two undefeated teams moving up in the power rankings. But first... Highlights, analysis, and a few hard hits. This is the Game Day Blitz. The Steelers treated the Browns like the red-headed stepchild of the AFC North as they dominated them 38-7. The Steelers scored a field goal on their first drive, continuing their streak of 23 games without a touchdown on their first drive. The Browns came out on the next drive, and three plays later, Baker Mayfield threw an interception to Mika Fitzpatrick, who took it to the house 33 yards for the pick six. Neither team was successful for the rest of the first quarter, trading punts on short drives five times total. Early in the second quarter, Chase Claypool caught a 37-yard pass, which led to a three-yard touchdown run by James Conner. On the ensuing drive, Baker was under intense pressure and threw his second interception of the game, which would lead to a James Washington touchdown catch. The Browns looked to right the ship with a nine-play, 75-yard drive capped off by a 13-yard Rashard Higgins touchdown cap. The score was 24-7 heading into halftime. The Browns came out of the half flat and had a three-and-out before turning the ball over on downs at the Pittsburgh 28-yard line. The Steelers took advantage of this field position and ran the ball on the next eight plays, including a quarterback sneak from Roethlisberger on fourth and one. The drive was capped off with a Chase Claypool rushing touchdown that came on the same play they had run several times during the drive, but they handed it to Claypool on the sweep this particular play instead of running it up the middle. It was a masterful play call to get the defense out of position. After that Steelers touchdown, Kevin Stefanski pulled Baker from the game and let Case Keenum finish for the Browns, who didn't fare any better than Baker did as the Browns turned the ball over on downs two more times during this game and Pittsburgh scored the final touchdown by way of Benny Snell. Baker Mayfield's performance during this game will be the major talking point for analysts this week, but it shouldn't be. The Steelers defense stepping up and dominating what was the number one rush offense in the league heading into the game should be the main talking point. The Steelers held Kareem Hunt, who had rushed for at least 70 yards in four of his first five games, and scored at least one touchdown in the last four games to 40 yards and no touchdowns. Not to mention turnovers, as the Steelers defense forced two turnovers for the fourth time this season. During the game, the Steelers did take a major blow to their defense as second-year middle linebacker Devin Bush tore his ACL. I could tell as soon as I saw him go down that it was probably an ACL tear, and it was confirmed on Monday. On the offensive side of the ball, Chase Claypool continues to impress as he caught all four of his targets for 74 yards and had the rushing touchdown on the deck. For the Browns, their record and success continues to seem to be some sort of mirage. They have had success this season, but it has come at the expense of bad teams. Their only win of the season that wasn't against a team that was under 500 came against the Colts and that game almost got away from them too. In their two losses, they have failed to muster more than one touchdown in either game and gave up 38 points each time to divisional opponents. Baker's struggles continue this season when the opponent can stop the run and the game is put in his hands. He has now thrown two interceptions in his last two games and is on pace to have 16 for the season. Baker is not the only problem for the team, though. The offensive line gave up four sacks this week and the defense gave up 30 plus points for the fourth time this season. It's an entire team effort that has gone into the bad losses that they have suffered this year. 
The Browns will look to get back to winning next week as they face the Bengals. The Steelers will head to Nashville for a battle of unbeatens against the Titans. The Buccaneers score 38 unanswered points to beat the Packers 38 to 10. This game started very differently than it finished. The Packers started off solid, scoring a field goal on their opening drive, continuing their run as the only team to score on the opening drive every game this season. They forced a three and out from the Buccaneers and took the ball down the field on an 11-play, 80-yard drive that ended with an Aaron Jones touchdown. After another punt by the Buccaneers, the Packers looked to take a commanding lead and drive down the field again. And then it completely and utterly fell apart, worse than when Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers threw his first interception of the season, and it was a pick six to bring the Buccaneers within three. Side note, this was only the third. Third. One, two, three. Third pick six of Aaron Rodgers' entire career. What's even more wild is, it's the second one to come in Tampa. The announcer said he didn't like playing there, and it's Kind of obvious why now. On the next drive, Aaron Rodgers looked to try and rectify his mistake of the last drive, and then he threw another pick. This one wasn't as much his fault as it seemed to bounce off the chest of Devontae Adams and into the hands of the waiting defender who took it down to the Packers two-yard line, and Ronald Jones drove it in for a touchdown to make the score 14-10. The next drive was a three and out for the Packers, and the Buccaneers drove it down the field to make the score 21 to 10 on a Tyler Johnson touchdown catch. Stop me if you've heard this before. The next drive was a three and out for the Packers and the Buccaneers drove the ball down the field for another touchdown, this time from Rob Gronkowski, his first of the year. At the half, the score was 28 to 10. It didn't get any better for the Packers after that. The Buccaneers scored a field goal on their first drive of the second half. The teams traded punts before Tampa Bay scored the final touchdown of the game late in the third quarter. And both starting quarterbacks were pulled in the fourth quarter. Green Bay did not look good during this game, and it was very reminiscent of their struggles last year against teams with a dominant pass rush. Aaron Rodgers was sacked four times for 42 yards, and he was pressured 12 times. It was one of his worst games to date as he only completed 16 passes for her 160 yards and no touchdown. It was also a rough day for the Packers defense who gave up 31 unanswered points, but only 21 were on long drives as the other one was a two yard touchdown after an interception. Tampa Bay on the other hand, looked like they were on their way to another loss before the two interceptions swung the momentum squarely into their favor. Tom Brady wasn't asked to do much as he only threw the ball 27 times and completed 17 of those passes five of which were to Gronk in what was his best game since retiring from retirement. Ronald Jones also showed why, despite the addition of Leonard Fournette and LaShawn McCoy, he is the lead back for the Buccaneers as he had 113 yards on the ground and two touchdowns. The Buccaneers defense swarmed all over Rodgers and showed that if they can keep this type of play up, they will be a force to reckon with as the season progresses. One of the most amazing facts about this game is that Tampa Bay had no sacks, no turnovers, and no penalties. They almost played a perfect game. The Bucks head to Vegas to face the Raiders coming off a bye, while the Packers travel to Houston to face the Texans. The 49ers beat the Rams 24-6 in a close NFC West divisional battle. The first drive of the game for San Francisco was very interesting as it considered a four short passes 
from Jimmy Garoppolo that shoot up big yards and resulted in a touchdown. The biggest gain came on a quick shovel pass to Debo Samuel, who looked to be tackled, but realized he wasn't down and kept running down the field for a 35-yard gain. The touchdown pass was another shovel pass to Samuel. The teams traded punts before San Francisco was able to score again on fourth down as Garoppolo found George Kittle on a slant for a 44-yard touchdown. The Rams responded and drove the ball down the field and scored on an amazing diving catch by Robert Woods in the end zone, but the extra point was blocked. Not to be outdone, the 49ers took over with nine minutes left in the first half and drove down the field on a 13-play, 70-yard drive capped off with a Brandon Ayuk touchdown, and that drive took seven minutes off the clock. The lead set at 21-6 going into the break. The Rams scored a field goal coming out of halftime, and after a few punts, the Rams drove down the field and were in a position to score before Jared Goff was picked off in the end zone to give the ball back to the 49ers, who couldn't do anything with the turnover. After more punts, the 49ers scored a field goal to make it 24-9. The Rams cut the lead to 8 with a late 44-yard touchdown catch by Josh Reynolds, but it was too little too late as the 49ers held on to the ball and were able to come away with the win. This was not a particularly great game for either team. The Rams seemed to be the better team coming in, especially with San Francisco's defense missing as many pieces as they are. However, the offense never seemed to click for the Rams, and the interception by Goff really cost them, as it could have been a momentum-shifting play. The Rams' defense also didn't have a great day as they had no sacks and little pressure on Jimmy G. For the 49ers, Garoppolo had a solid day throwing for 268 yards and three touchdowns, but they never seemed to be able to pull away from the Rams and make this a dominant win. Their defense also had no sacks in the game. The 49ers will face the Patriots this Sunday as the Rams host the Bears on Monday night. The Chiefs used their run game to take down the Bills 26-17 in a rainy slugfest. After the first two drives of the game ended in punts, the Bills kicked a field goal for the first points of the game. The Chiefs will respond with a five-play, 75-yard drive that ended with Travis Kelsey's first touchdown of the game. The Bills will respond with a 75-yard drive of their own, capped off by a four-yard touchdown by Stephon Diggs. Allen found Diggs on the side of the end zone and threw a ball that looked impossible to catch, but Diggs was able to haul it in and kept part of his body in for the score and the 10-7 lead. The Chiefs didn't allow that lead to stand for long as they scored again on another Travis Kelsey touchdown, but missed the extra point to take a 13-10 lead in halftime. After punts from both teams to start the second half, the Chiefs used a 13-play, almost eight-minute-long drive to punch the ball in for a 20-10 lead. The touchdown came on fourth and one from the Bills' 13-yard line as Darrell Williams was able to bounce out of a scrum and run straight in for the score. After another Bills punt, the Chiefs were able to get a field goal to make the score 23-10 with nine minutes left in the game. The Bills were not willing to give up as they pushed the ball down the field on a six-play drive that ended with a Cole Beasley touchdown. The Chiefs were able to effectively seal the game with a field goal on the ensuing drive. Although the Bills were able to get the ball back with a little under two minutes left and down by nine, Josh Allen threw a pick to end the game. It was a great one-handed grab by safety Daniel Sorensen. This is a very different Chiefs team than we are used to seeing. The 46 rush attempts was the most ever by an Andy Reid-led team. But it was effective, and rookie Clyde Edwards-Hilaire thrived in this game. He carried the ball 26 times for 161 yards. Patrick Mahomes was efficient on the night, as well as he threw 21 of 26 for 225 yards and the two touchdown passes to Travis Kelsey. 
The Chiefs defense rebounded from last week's horrible showing against the Raiders and held Josh Allen to just under 70 yards until the final touchdown drive by the Bills. Speaking of Allen's woes, he was under duress several times during the game, but also used in the run game more than usual. He only completed 14 passes for 122 yards and didn't look good throughout the night. The Bills continued their terrible third quarter play from this season as they again were unable to put points on the board after halftime until the final quarter. The Bills defense did their best to contain Mahomes, but his elusiveness and ability to stretch out plays proved to be their downfall. Both teams faced divisional opponents this week as the Bills face off against the Jets and the Chiefs face the Broncos. So let's look at the remaining games from the week. The Titans remain undefeated as they held off a late comeback bid from the Texans to win 42-36. Derrick Henry had his third 200-plus yard game in the past three seasons. Ryan Tannehill and Deshaun Watson both had 300-plus yards and four touchdowns. In another come-from-behind game, the Colts erased a 21-point deficit to beat the Bengals 31-27. Phillip Rivers recovered from last week's abysmal performance with 371 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception. The Falcons got the first win of the post-Dan Quinn era as they defeated the Vikings 40-23. Julio Jones returned from injury and had not only his first, but his second touchdown of the season, catching eight balls for 137 yards. The Patriots failed to capitalize on Cam Newton's return from being diagnosed with COVID-19 and fell to the Broncos. Cam really struggled this game with two interceptions and only 157 yards on 17 of 25 throwing. The New York Giants got their first win for head coach Joe Judge as they won against the Washington football team 20 to 19. Despite a poor throwing performance, only 112 yards on 12 of 19 passing, Daniel Jones led all rushes in the game with 74 yards. Lamar Jackson and the Ravens continued their winning ways, beating the Eagles 30 to 28. The Eagles scored a touchdown late but missed on the two-point conversion to tie the game. Lamar Jackson had 108 yards on the ground and 186 yards through the air with a touchdown on the ground as well as in the air. The Jaguars fell to the Lions 16-34. DeAndre Swift had a solid game running for 116 yards and two touchdowns on the day. In the first shutout of the season, the Dolphins beat the Jets 24-0. Joe Flacco again played for the injured Sam Darnold and never found any offense. In the first half, six of the seven Jets drives were only three plays long. Tua Tungavaloa saw the field for the first time in his career at the end of the game. He was two of two for nine yards, but it was a nice moment as his biggest cheerleader in that moment was starter Ryan Fitzpatrick. In the second Monday night game, the Cardinals beat up on the Cowboys 38-10. Andy Dalton struggled a lot in his first start of the season as he was 34 of 54 for 266 yards. He had a touchdown in the final minute of the game, but also threw two interceptions. Kyler Murray had a worse statistical game as he only completed nine of his passes for 188 yards, but he also had two touchdowns. With all the news being thrown around, you need the proper defense. Time for the cover three. The top three stories of the week. Number three. Tua Tungavailoa will be the starting quarterback for the Miami Dolphins when they return to play in week eight after this week's bye. I think this is a wise move by the Dolphins. Throughout the offseason, there was consistent talk of the team being under 500 and in need of a change, and so they will be forced to put Tua on the field before he was ready and in a bad position trying to salvage the season. Not only have the Dolphins not struggled this season, but they are currently second in their division, sitting at 3-3. Three three. 
This is an excellent position for the young quarterback to start because the pressure of revitalizing a lost season will not be on him. So often, rookie quarterbacks who are brought in as the starter midseason are being asked to jumpstart a stale offense or bring hope to a franchise who has all but given up on the season. Tua is being given the keys to a team that has had success as of late and is coming off a shutout win over a bad Jets team and looking to capitalize on their young quarterback's skill set moving forward this season. He will have a major test to start as his first game as a starter will come against the Rams defensive line led by Aaron Donald, who currently leads the league with seven and a half sacks for the season. The road for the rest of the season is one that should lead to some success as the Dolphins only face three playoff teams from last year in their final 10 games. Tonga Valoa will look to showcase whether passing on him for Joe Burrow with the number one pick was the right decision as the season progresses. Number two. According to Dan Graziano and Jeff Harmon of ESPN, teams are wondering if the Atlanta Falcons may trade Julio Jones and Matt Ryan as the trade deadline approaches. This is all speculation as both contracts are albatrosses that would be extremely hard to move due to the sheer size of both deals. However, the idea that the speculation is out there is very telling of how the team feels about their prospects moving forward. Although the team won its first game of the season last week against the Vikings, the road ahead is not looking good. The team has five divisional games left, three of which are on the road. Not to mention a three-game stretch at the end of the season where they play Tampa Bay twice and the Chiefs at Arrowhead in between those two games. Also, there's the relative lack of success that these two Pro Bowl stars have had during their tenure with the team. Since 2008, Matt Ryan is 4-6 in the playoffs and has only reached the NFC Championship game twice, losing his first appearance and losing in the Super Bowl after winning his second appearance. Julio has been around for eight of those playoff games and has 280-yard games, but also four games without a touchdown, including the one Super Bowl appearance. Both players are considered top tier at their position, and I'm sure would have plenty of suitors if given the chance, but contracts aside, the idea that they are possibly being looked at as expendable at this time shows how bad off the Falcons really are. Number one. Last week, the New York Jets released Le'Veon Bell after failing to find someone willing to negotiate a trade for him. This sounds much worse than it actually is because of Bell's contract. The initial idea that a former Pro Bowl running back can't even be sent to a team for a low round draft choice seems absurd until you take into consideration his contract. Whoever traded for Bell would have had to take on his $8 million injury guarantee for next year. And no team wanted to do that. So, with no choice left and no longer wanting him on the team, the Jets released him after 18 games and $28 million made. Bell never had a 100-yard game and never really fit within the offense that Adam Gase wanted to run. There's also the fact that Bell and Gase never really meshed. Gase didn't actually want Bell on the team. He more wanted offensive line help but the general manager wanted to get a quality running back. Months after Bell got there, the GM was gone, but he was still there with a coach that didn't want him. Not really a recipe for success. And so, after another bad start to the season and not really being successful, 
and Bell going to the media and talking poorly of his head coach, the Jets decided to release him. But that's not how the story ends. Oh, I'm sorry, I couldn't help myself. Later in the week, Bell made his decision on what team he would be joining. The Kansas City Chiefs. So he's going to a team that already has a player who rushed for 161 yards this week. Not to mention Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, McCole Hardman, and above all else, Patrick Mahomes. So now, Andy Reid gets another versatile weapon that he can use in multiple positions on the field. I can see it now. Two men in the backfield. Three men out wide. The defense is befuddled and perplexed because Clyde edwards Lair is lined up in the slot. Le'Veon Bell is out to the right and Miko Hardman is out to the left while Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey are standing next to Patrick Mahomes in shotgun. At this point, as a defense, I would just walk off the field because I don't know what anyone is expecting of me in this moment. I'm pretty sure there are a lot of defensive coordinators right now having nightmares about this very scary scenario that could likely become a reality very, very soon. Need help with your fantasy squad? Look no further than the all-purpose fantasy outlook. This week's fantasy outlook focuses on wide receivers. The start of the week is Stefan Diggs going against a Jets defense that he already had eight catches and 86 yards against. His dominant play should continue this Sunday. The sit of the week is Michael Gallup. So, the issue really isn't Gallup as much as his quarterback, who failed to find a rhythm with the wide receiver in their second game together. What's worse is the Cowboys face a defensive line that's better than the one they did this week and who is going to cause so many more problems for the quarterback this week, which will result in less production for Gallup. Now, our sleeper of the week is Pittsburgh rookie Chase Claypool, who is still available in many leagues despite his dominant performances over the last two weeks. It also helps him that Tennessee is giving up the fourth most points to wide receivers this year, according to NFL.com Fantasy. Up, down, or the same, teams are always changing in the power rankings. Coming in at number one is the Seattle Seahawks, who were on bye last week, and so because they couldn't lose, I'm not going to move them down. The Chiefs move closer to reclaiming their top spot as they move up to number two. After a dominant win against the Browns, the Steelers move up to number three. Despite a late game scare and overtime, the Titans remain undefeated and are at number four. The Baltimore Ravens are number five, while the Packers drop to number six after a big loss to the number seven Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who climbed back into the top ten this week. The Saints drop to number seven after a bye. I mean, like, yeah, I know. The C the Seahawks didn't drop. But the Saints were on iffy ground as it is. Don't judge me.
the Raiders come in at number nine and making their first appearance in the top 10 despite a very bad performance while being very good performance from Kyler Murray are the Arizona Cardinals. That's it for this week's episode. I'm your host, AP. You can find me on social media at APNFLPod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Also, you can get the all-purpose NFL podcast on anchor.fm slash APNFLPod, Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening and have a good one.